to episode 261 of the DFS Dose podcast, your fix of daily fantasy sports information, strategy, and analysis. I'm your host, Ben Hover, joined as I always am by Joey Carrion. And on today's show, we are going to talk slate specifics, get into everything you need to know here for week nine, talk some chalk, leverage, stacks, long shots per usual. Joey, how are you feeling as we approach week nine? Feeling good, feeling good. Just ready to dive into the slate. Not too many great games. Um, kind of similar to last week. Uh, we only have a couple elite options at the quarterback position. So it's going to be another fun, interesting week to uh, break down and discuss here. Absolutely. This is a 10-game main slate with eight games early and two games in the afternoon absolute brutal distribution in terms of like the start times here there's just no reason why the nfl needs to do this i don't see why it's not split five and five or like six and four like just because the teams happen to be playing more on the east coast like an east coast game can kick off at four o'clock guys like it's fine like give us a more entertaining product like it's just going to be a complete snooze fest once four o'clock hits but that's what we've got this week from a totals perspective actually looking decent despite the games looking kind of trash on paper we've got four games out of 10 with totals of 48 or more seattle at arizona with a slate high 50 and a half top five implied team totals this week buffalo 29 and a half chargers 26 and a half green bay 26 and a half cardinals 26.25 miami 25.25 joey what is standing out to you this week from a vegas perspective yeah i mean i think there's going to be one game that could be a little bit chalky as a game stack, and that is the Cardinals-Seahawks game, you know, highest totaled game on the slate, one of the only two four o'clock games. So going to be interesting to see how everybody plays that from a late swap strategy, but that's definitely standing out as one of the premier games on the slate. Other than that, there's a lot of good teams on the slate with good team totals, such as the Bills, Chargers, Dolphins, etc., Bengals, right? But in terms of games and potential game stacks, it's looking pretty grim. So it's looking very grim, in my opinion. Yeah, no, it is looking quite grim. For me, man, the first thing I saw when I looked at these Vegas lines was that Buffalo's team total was three points higher than than the next closest team, which is the Chargers. And even the Chargers are kind of hard to buy into with that 26 and a half total. No Mike Williams, Keenan Allen missed practice today. So they're going to be very undermanned this week. Buffalo just looks like they're in a smash spot. And, you know, I think that's a good intro here into Josh Allen, who priced at his highest price of the season, 8,500 is going to be the subject of many discussions. We have some cheap options this week in Geno and Fields, and they're both sub 6K, Geno 5-8, Fields 5-3. You're saving a lot by going down to them, but it's been money. You know, Mm -hmm. playing Allen every week has been money. He's expensive. Do you think that that's the route that we go once again in week nine for cash, Josh Allen, 8,500? Yeah, I think that it's early and I want to see how the week shapes up as it goes on. But at 8,500, he's definitely in play and you could definitely play Josh Allen in cash. I just think that there's not too much value on this slate. So 
it might be beneficial to come off Josh Allen when you take into consideration Justin Fields is 3,200 cheaper than Allen, and he's been performing as a quarterback one over the last month of the season with two straight 20-plus point games on DraftKings. But Josh Allen, from a raw projection standpoint, is obviously going to project off the charts. Bills' highest implied team total on the slate at 29.5 against the Jets team that they should just absolutely dominate. And we know that all of the touchdowns funnel through Josh Allen. So he's a great play. Just don't know if you can get there this week. And I think a lot of people might gravitate towards playing either Geno Smith or Justin Fields in cash over Josh Allen. Yeah, and and honestly, it does depend. But the mid-range is very loaded, which I think makes it a better case to play Allen. So it makes it it tough just because like the mid-range running backs and mid-range wide receivers are really strong this week. So you don't necessarily need to punt it off at quarterback because you don't need to get towards the high-priced running backs and receivers. But as we'll get to, there are great options at the top for both positions. So I think that either route is viable and there are some injuries that we'll have to see and track throughout the week as to what value opens up. So very much an open discussion here at quarterback so far between Gino and Justin Fields. Do you have a lean? I think I'm leaning Fields. I'm curious to see what you think here. Yeah, I think I would lean Fields here as well and take the $500 discount and then when you build a lineup this week and you have fields in I think it just allows for a little bit more flexibility especially when we talk about the running backs and wide receivers that we are going to prioritize on this slate the $500 definitely helps a ton but Geno Smith is still a very very good play and the highest total game on the slate but I, I think I would personally would lean fields in cash games right now but it's gonna just be you know, it's it's going to be kind of rough, you know, coming into the 1 p.m. lock and, and not having Josh Allen playing in, in my cash game lineup at, at 1 p.m. on Sunday. Yeah, no, that's that's absolutely brutal. And you just know he's going to go for 30 plus, And that's a tough thing to stomach without him. Maybe just want to run Josh Allen. I don't, I don't know. It's like, how, how much are we going to be kicking ourselves when Josh Allen predictably drops 30 and we're you know, praying that Justin Fields gets to 20 in this spot could be tough. But I mean, dude, the thing about Fields is that he's a really, really solid punt. We finally seen the workload and the and the production start to finally match. He's been doing phenomenal on the ground. He's had eight plus rush attempts in every game, but one and the one that he didn't, he still went seven for 52 rushing. The difference is, is that he's been finding his way into the end zone. They've been designing more runs for him since switching play callers and just making it a concerted effort to utilize his strengths. I, the rushing floor is just so good with Justin Fields. I think he's definitely a stronger play than even the likes of like Malik Willis and Ellinger last week, Price included, at home against Miami after putting up his two best games of the season in back-to-back road spots against tougher defenses in New England and Dallas. It seems like a really good spot for Fields. He gets the boost with Chase Claypool. I don't think he's a bad play by any stretch. And although it would be uncomfortable and, and the Josh Allen fade is a tough one to make, I think Fields is a, is a quality cash play this week for sure. Yeah, I, I totally totally agree and he probably is going to be the chalkiest quarterback on this slate in cash games along with Josh Allen and you kind of just do have to hope that Justin Fields finds the end zone in this spot but this game could potentially be one to to keep an eye on as you know maybe a sneaky shootout with the addition of Chase Claypool to Chicago you know kind of giving Justin Fields another good pass catcher in that offense alongside Darnell Mooney he's been playing 
really, really well over the last month or so of the season after, like you said, switching play callers and the Bears are just designing an offense around him rather than trying to fit him into an offense, which we've talked about a ton. And the the Bears have been putting up points, you know, 29 plus points in two straight games as a team. This is a team that can score and the Dolphins obviously give up yards and points to opposing offenses. So 5,300 Justin Fields, I, I think he's a pretty good play this week. That's about it for cash in terms of tournament plays. It's, I mean, you kind of alluded to it, but it's just not a great week for game stacks. Like if we're looking at the highest totals on the week, we've got two quarterbacks in Justin Herbert without all of his weapons and Marcus Mariota, who could easily finish with under 15 pass attempts in a game. And then we're also looking at Jared Goff against a tougher pass defense, Aaron Rodgers, who hasn't put up, you know, a 20 point spot all season. We've got Carr and and Trevor Lawrence with the 48 total. It's just like very unappealing spots this week in quarterbacks that we struggle to want to play yeah I mean there's really no quarterbacks that I'm interested in at all this week I mean Herbert at 7200 is okay but Mike Williams out for the foreseeable future Keenan Allen mispracticed today and the Chargers offense just hasn't been good right so don't love that Call of Duty dropped this past week Kyler Murray 7400 that takes him immediately out of play yeah can't play him can't even consider him Joe Burrow loses Jamar Chase. Bengals offense turns to shit. We'll see how that affects him, but I think that Burrow to T. Higgins could be a viable stack. Kirk Cousins in a 1 o'clock game against Washington. Revenge game, 6,200. Maybe that's kind of interesting. Other than that, I mean, Tua, Josh Allen, Fields, Geno Smith, I think, are the four best quarterback plays on this slate, and everybody else is just like, meh. Yeah, no, I, I, I completely agree with that. And it seems like a week where we probably aren't going to want to get too different at quarterback either. So might be eating chalk at quarterback in tournaments and getting different elsewhere, which is, which is totally fine. Um, obviously with the lack of, you know, elite quarterback options that we have on the slate, it's probably just optimal to maybe play Josh Allen, even at ownership, because you know he could separate from the field. A 40 ball is definitely well within the range for Josh Allen each and every single week. And at 8,500, I'd definitely be comfortable eating the chalk there. And then the two-wood double stack is an elite stack uh, to play every single week. He's 6,700. Geno Smith, very good play. Justin Fields, very good play. And I guess I may play like a Kyler or Joe Burrow lineup, but other than that, my, my quarterback exposure is going to be very, very slim this week. Completely agree with that. All right, at the running back position, Joey, this mid-range is absolutely loaded, and you could probably get away with playing three running backs priced between 62 and 6,300 this week and, and be absolutely fine. We've got Kenneth Walker and Ramondre Stevenson both at 62, and then Travis Etienne at 63 in a good spot against the Raiders. I, I think Etienne is going to end up being the chalkiest running back on the slate when it's all said and done yeah I think I think Etienne for sure is going to be the highest on running back this week at home in a good matchup against Las Vegas very cheap price tag DraftKings underpriced him this week and DraftKings has been continuously underpricing elite running back plays this year which has made this range so strong and we've kind of been on it since week one like for tournaments especially like this is the range you want to be in and in cash I mean all of these guys are very very good cash plays Ramondre Stevenson is also a very good play I expect him to be right up there with Etienne in terms of ownership Damian Harris missed 
practice today with an illness. I would expect mm-hmm. him to play, but their roles are pretty similar. Obviously, Ramondre's role in the passing game is so much better, but Damian Harris only ran seven less routes than Ramondre last week. Played pretty much almost the same amount of snaps, so Damian Harris is still a factor with Ramondre, but Etienne, Ramondre, and Kenneth Walker look like they're going to be the chalkiest running backs on this week nine slate. Yeah, and and I think ETN and Stevenson are both phenomenal chalk, ETN especially. Kenneth Walker, a tier below them in terms of just like my confidence level because I think that, you know, we look at the other two as guys who have a lot of pass catching upside at least and a decent floor and, and Walker just doesn't have that, man. And with Travis Homer back, DJ Dallas back, it's just a muddied backfield, especially from a pass catcher's perspective as all of them are actively running routes. Kenneth Walker did run the most routes of the three last week, but the other two are, you know, nonetheless going to be eating significantly into the amount of pass game opportunity that he has. And on the surface, you know, this is going to be a running back on the road in a second divisional matchup. It's just tough. Like he's a talented player. He's going to get 20 touches per week, but I just don't know on full PPR DraftKings if he has the same floor as some of these other guys. So, I mean, do you consider Walker as good of a play as the other two? If you had to leave one of them out for somebody, would it be Walker the same way that it would be for me or or just sort of how are you ranking these three in terms of cash viability yeah I would rank them ETN Stevenson Walker for sure Uh, just because I mean you laid it out perfectly Walker's involvement in the pass game is very minimal like he'll run routes but Geno Smith just does not check the ball down much he's looking to push the ball down the field or take off and run which obviously hurts the upside of Kenneth Walker's game a little bit just in terms of pass catching so he's definitely the worst and I would be willing to fade Kenneth Walker once again obviously fading him in week seven burned me after he breaks off a 74 yard touchdown run you know in the witching hour which was just pure pain from a projection standpoint he's definitely going to project the worst out of these three and uh, I don't think like he's a must play lock this week yeah no I, I'm I'm right there with you and then I think the other sort of pricing tier that's going to be popular is like Josh Jacobs and maybe Aaron Jones. I think Jacobs is probably more so the guy that people are going to go towards in cash, but Aaron Jones to me may not be in the cash discussion, but I love him this week, right? The the Lions defense is absolutely pathetic. They're allowing the third most rushing yards per game, 154.9. Ever since Aaron Rodgers said that he wanted Aaron Jones more involved, we have seen that come to fruition. And I mean, dude, this dude busted off a season high 143 rushing yards against the Bills last week. Just imagine what he's going to do at home against this Lions team with a Packers offense that's desperately looking to bounce back and, and needs a win in this spot and should be able to get one against Detroit, who's, you know, selling TJ Hawkinson off and clearly Mm -hmm. planning for the future at this point yeah absolutely Aaron Jones is a very very good play this week um Josh Jacobs as well I think Josh Jacobs is going to project better than Aaron Jones uh just because he's not losing snaps to a player like AJ Dillon and the matchups are pretty similar uh just in terms of Jacksonville and Detroit Josh Jacobs is also a hundred dollars cheaper and Josh Jacobs has, you know, that recent game log history that everybody loves to see with three straight 30-point games, even though he busted last week as chalk. So 7,300 Josh Jacobs, I think, is going to be the play over Aaron Jones, but nonetheless, they are both still very, very good plays this week. 
Can we make the Austin Eckler play, man? I mean, I've I've been on this bandwagon for this will be the third straight week where the projections are going to love the mid-range more and I've just, you know, I've I did it with Austin Eckler, didn't quite work out. Did it with Derrick Henry last week, worked out just fine and I want to be right back in with Austin Eckler. I mean, no Keenan Allen, no Mike Williams in a great spot against this Atlanta rush defense and I mean, Jesus Christ, dude, Eckler has 28 targets over the last two weeks. And I mean, I feel like 10 plus would be the expectation with no Keenan, no Mike Williams. Keenan may play in this game, but he may not miss practice Wednesday and barely played at all in the second half when he did come back in week seven prior to the bye. I just don't think that he's fully healthy. And Austin Eckler at this point is essentially the entire Chargers offense. Yeah. I mean, Austin Eckler, obviously a very good play. He's going to project for the most raw points out of every running back on the slate. And you could definitely fit him this week. Obviously, if you're playing Eckler, like you're not playing Josh Allen he's so he's only in Justin Fields builds for sure and and you could definitely make a good cash game lineup with Eckler so I wouldn't mind playing Eckler over Kenneth Walker as the RB3 and you know paying down to a cheaper wide receiver for sure especially if Keenan Allen does miss Josh Palmer will open up we'll probably talk about that here shortly so Austin Eckler fantastic play 8800 I mean, can't go wrong with Eckler ever, uh, especially this year. Absolutely. All right. So those are sort of the plays that I think we're locked into, or or at least that we can say safely we're considering at this point in the week. There are two running backs that I think we need to keep an eye on that could develop into very popular plays depending on how injuries go. That would be Jamal Williams at 5,900 and Deion Jackson at 5,200. Obviously, right before the trade deadline, the Colts shipped off Naheem Hines to Buffalo which leaves essentially just Deion Jackson and Jonathan Taylor in this backfield. They did get Zach Moss back in the trade, but I mean, at least in the context of this week, that's not something that we have to worry about whatsoever. Jonathan Taylor missed practice this week on Wednesday, still dealing with the fallout from his ankle injury. And Deion Jackson, last time that he got the full workload, had 10 targets, caught 10 balls, also 12 attempts on the ground, just massive game, 28.1 on DraftKings. I think he would project extremely well with very little backfield competition if Jonathan Taylor were to miss this week. Yeah, for sure. And he'd be in play, but the downside I think is very high with Deion Jackson, obviously on the road in New England with a young quarterback, an archetype of quarterback that Bill Belichick usually dominates, right? Young quarterbacks at home. The offensive environment for the Colts probably isn't going to be great. The touchdown expectation is extremely low, one of the lowest implied team totals on the slate, but he would project for like 15 to 20 touches, probably four to five targets. It's just the floor is really, really low with Deion Jackson, and I feel like you would just need a touchdown to get there in this spot. I don't know. I think obviously we'll have to wait and see if JT is out because Deion Jackson would be a three-down running back in that situation, but there are a lot of holes that you could poke in that play and I don't think he would be you know a lock or anything I think he would be an okay play and you could go there but he's not like you know a smash lock um like Tony Pollard let's say last week mm-hmm. yeah no I, I totally agree with you on on that and then Jamal Williams I think I would probably look at in a similar way where he would be a good play if Swift were ruled out Swift missed practice on Wednesday once again has not been fully healthy since his initial injury it would be a revenge game at home Packers have a very beatable run defense Jamal is like a walking two touchdown game. This dude has had four two touchdown games in eight weeks, bro. Like he he 
he's literally getting two touchdowns at a 50% clip. It's absolutely insane. But again, with Deion Jackson, it's kind of like you need the two touchdowns. Even in last week's game where he had two touchdowns, only 22.6 points. I mean, you want your running backs giving you 30 plus if they're punching it in twice. It's just that Jamal will never be the guy anymore who's going to be getting the full workload. Even without Swift, other guys would be getting worked in there. So I think he would be a good play, probably very comparable to Kenneth Walker if Swift misses, but not a lock by any means. Yeah, no, Jamal Williams definitely wouldn't be a lock, especially with him being a little bit cheaper than plays that are just going to project so much better in Ramondre and ETN. And then if Deion Jackson were to open up, and then obviously we talked about Josh Jacobs and Austin Eckler. Uh, So he'd probably be like fifth or sixth on my list. Wouldn't really consider him for cash, but he'd be a a very nice uh, tournament pivot off of those running backs in that range for sure. All right. I think that about sums it up for the running back position at wide receiver. A lot of, I think the range that you are going to be in and and sort of, I guess, contextually with the whole slate, it's going to come down to what you do at quarterback because we have every high priced wide receiver available to us. If if we want them, you know, cup Jefferson, Tyreek Diggs, and they're all priced within 500 of one another. So if you're in that range, you really have your choice of the bunch. And it seems like you're most likely in that build in the Justin Fields scenario. So, I mean, do you have a lean? Is it, is it Diggs week? Like if you're playing fields, do you want your Josh Allen? And exposure through digs or are you are you going to continue to ride Tyreek Justin Jefferson in the good spot they're all really strong plays I don't know if you have a lean with these high price wide receivers yeah no I think they're all very good plays I don't think much separates any of them besides price and digs is the cheapest and he fits the build uh, perfectly that I made at 8400 I think I would lean digs there but that's strictly just because he's he's the player that's 8400 and that fits you know but they're still very good plays and then you have the mid-range guys which you mentioned you got you know Chris Godwin Tyler Lockett ASB Sun God DJ Moore 5800 I think that's a range that is the hardest to rank so I'm curious to hear about how you would rank these wide receivers in this range and you know what players you're considering for cash i'm assuming your boy asb is a lock so i mean so rank the other wide receivers because i think we're both locking amon ross st brown into our cash game lineups this week I mean, Amon Ra's a stone-cold yes. lock. He's getting so 10 don't, targets yeah, per game him. every don't week, no teach. All of these guys have really strong target shares right now. I kind of want to keep riding DJ Moore, man. I played him two weeks in a row, and I think he's a great play once again at 5,800. He's had a 39.1% target share in the last two games since the Panthers traded away Christian McCaffrey and Robbie Anderson. PJ Walker is absolutely locked on to him, and he's just, you know, whether or not you think PJ Walker is good, I think that he's probably not good as in terms of like the NFL standard of quarterback, but he's he's putting the ball where DJ Moore can get it, and that's what's important right now, and if he's going to feast this man at like a 40% clip when he's throwing the ball 5800 is still too cheap the upside is obviously capped here right like they have a 17 and a half implied team total but the spot is not that bad the Bengals were just a middle of the pack pass defense as it was and they just lost their best corner in Shadobi Awuzie for the season so I don't know man I kind of want to be back in on DJ Moore like you could say without the 62 yard touchdown bomb you know he's not going to be in that discussion this week but I I think that the target share is just locked 
and loaded. And and we kind of want to ride with DJ Moore here. For the other guys that you, that you mentioned, I think Godwin and Lockett, 62 and 6,100 respectively, both really strong in terms of target share, but I don't love the spot for Tyler Lockett. Again, on the road, second division matchup. And the Cardinals have done really well at limiting perimeter wide receivers. Maybe Lockett gets kicked in a little bit and, and can find some success. Chris Godwin is the, the interesting one, man. And I don't know how to diagnose Chris Godwin. I've heard some people say that they don't think he looks fully recovered from the ACL. We've heard some people say that he looks like he's back to full speed. The targets are the one thing that are not subjective. Like the targets have been there every single week. Target share is incredible, but the Bucks offense in general just seems fully broken. He's got 55 targets on the year, several games with double digit targets and the highest point total we've seen is 15 and a half. It's just the production is not matching the opportunity for Chris Godwin. And I I just can't put my finger on why. Yeah. I mean, obviously the Bucks offense just hasn't been playing well. He has scored no touchdowns. So I think that's definitely a reason why we haven't seen, you know, the upside. He hasn't hit the hundred yard bonus either. He's catching, you know, about 50% of his targets right now but I think the floor is still pretty high 11 and a half points in every game but one six catches plus in every game but one and that's with the Bucks offense being as bad as it is I think that the offense is just out of rhythm I think that Brady is obviously playing bad you know not definitely not the worst quarterback in the NFL but he's not as good as he was last year and the players have been running the wrong routes and the offensive line has been bad which I think has contributed more than we could ever know because I mean they lost what three starters on the offensive line prior to the season and like three good starters so there's just been a ton of cons with with this offense and a ton of negative things that have happened obviously this game isn't projecting to be like a shootout or anything because both teams who were two of the best offenses in the NFL last year have definitely been two of the bottom 10 offenses in the NFL this year but nonetheless the usage and opportunity is still really really good for Chris Godwin at 6,200. If he gets you 12 or 13 points, like that's just not killing you, but obviously you want more and he's competing with the other wide receivers in that range. But there's still a ton of downside with DJ Moore's situation, you know, albeit his target share should be off the charts. Chris Godwin does average more targets per game than DJ Moore. Then you have, you know, the Seahawks wide receivers, DK Metcalf, 6,400. I mean, he's a robot. Tyler Lockett, 6,100, looks really, really good. Tyler Boyd at 6,300 is projecting okay right now with no Jamar Chase. So I think this week is really just going to come down to which receivers you play out of this range and right now I don't know how I would rank it but I I think I would have Godwin above uh, some of these other guys. Yeah, to me, the reason why I feel like I'm choosing DJ Moore is just because of the savings. And it seems at this point with a lack of value, like 400 could make an absolute difference. But you know, if DJ Moore's 62 and Godwin is 62, it's a complete pick them to yeah. me. So I, I just don't know. Um, we'll see how the week develops. All I know for sure is that Amon Ross St. Brown is a fucking lock at <laughs> 6,600 and the best play of the group. I also think that we can make a case to pay down to 5,100 for Josh Palmer cleared the NFL's concussion protocol on Wednesday should be a full go here for longer time listeners of the podcast you know guys who are with us throughout best ball offseason one of the reasons why we were so high on Josh Palmer is because if Keenan Allen is out he's got a major role 
if Mike Williams out, he's got a major role. Like he can fit in no matter where mm-hmm. they need him in this offense. And he's basically hit the nut run out, you know, Keenan Allen missed this long stretch of games and he was right there playing on the outside for damn near every snap opposite Mike Williams. Now Mike Williams is the one who's hurt. Keenan may or may not be back either way. Josh Palmer is going to be out there for every snap opposite Keenan Allen. So it's like Palmer is just locked in to a really strong role here with the chargers and if um, both are out. And yeah, and if both are out, he's the wide receiver one and they're playing the team in the league that's giving up the most points to wide receiver and, and the most passing yards. So Josh Palmer, I mean 5100. I don't know if I want to call him a lock, but he's pretty goddamn close. He's a phenomenal play this week for cash at least at 5100. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, covered everything. Don't need to really add more other than he's the lowest I would go in cash Agreed. and you could definitely make him fit in your builds. I've seen some people playing Garrett Wilson in their lineups. I think that's just bad. Just find the 300 to get up Josh Palmer just because, you know, you have the upside 10 plus targets in the nut spot, like you said. And if both players are out, Keenan Allen did not practice today. And we already know Mike Williams is out for the foreseeable future. Josh Palmer at 5,100. I mean, you could pretty much lock him in for eight to 10 targets minimum. So 5,100 Josh Palmer. I think he is going to be very, very chalky this week, but nonetheless, he is a very good play. So he's probably in the cash game build for sure. That's it for wide receiver in, ter- in terms of like cash, right? Yeah, there, there's no other wide receiver I would consider for cash other than the ones we uh, talked about. All right, so tight end this week. It looks like post TJ Hawkinson, the world is ready to punt it off to Brock Wright at the stone minimum 2,500. Had a pretty good game in Dallas week seven, four for four, 57 yards. I mean, I don't know, dude. He's he's 2,500. He's a tight end. G- give me your Brock Wright take. Like, what, what, do we, what do we think? Is he fine? Yeah, I mean, obviously with tight end, it's really more so not about, the player it's about the salary and what it allows you to do with the rest of your lineup and that is you know jam in these guys like asb and eckler potentially or josh allen and you know make the best build possible and obviously the floor is extremely low with a player like brock Wright, but his snap share should increase with tj hawkinson out of detroit now 2500 if he gets you five points that's totally fine even if he gets you zero if the rest of your lineup does well like you survive that especially as chalk so i think really you're you're just playing Brock Wright this week in cash. If you, if you don't play Brock Wright, like I, I think it's just bad process because the the build. I mean, you you need him in my opinion. Yeah. That being that being said, he is in the concussion protocol currently. He did exit with uh, concussion concerns in the Dolphins game. Was a non-participant at Wednesday's practice, so he does still need to get cleared before we can actually play him. If he doesn't open up and, and to be clear, I totally agree with you. We just play him at chalk at 2,500 if he's available. But if he's not, I think the two guys that stand out to me for a little bit more money would be Evan Ingram at 3,300 and Dawson Knox, 3,500. Knox is more of a bet on situation. Like you'd be playing a $3,500 tight end attached to the Bills offense with this massive team total higher by at least three points than everybody else on the slate and 
just to me, that's that alone makes him a fine play. But Evan Ingram, from a target perspective, is significantly better. He's had six plus targets in every game since week five, really developing into a consistent part of this Jacksonville offense, more consistent than he ever has been in New York. So, uh, you know, Evan Ingram, a guy that we've consistently sort of ragged on and, you know, just sort of accepted that he hasn't been that good at football, but he's, you know, been putting together a pretty solid stretch here in Jacksonville. And I don't really expect it to change. So 3,300 and a good matchup seems okay for Evan Ingram if we don't get Brock right. Yeah. Evan Ingram, I mean, seems okay. But if we don't get Brock right, like if they rule Brock right out, I'm literally just playing James Mitchell, who's right below him, <laughs> the backup Detroit tight end. <laughs> just, you're just committed to playing Alliance tight end. Oh, a- absolutely. All right, heard. So yeah, it's just it's just going uh, straight from Brock Wright to James Mitchell. They're literally right next to each other on the DraftKings salary. And then if you go to Player Profiler and look up James Mitchell, guess who his best comparable tight end is? Oof, I don't know who is it. Brock Wright. <laughs> <laughs> so. Heard, heard. So we're playing one of them either way. We're getting the same player. I yeah, gotcha. Yeah, pretty. Exactly. All right. Sounds good. And and then, you know, that, that all sounds well and fine until uh, Shane Zilstra gets activated and catches the one yard touchdown inevitably. Um, <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be pain. Yeah, that that's just... God, that's just how it goes with these guys. But we will see something to keep an eye on. Nothing else we really need to touch on as far as tight ends go in relation to cash. Let's talk tournaments. All right. Leverage, stacks, long shots. I think that there is a clear leverage opportunity here because the way that we sort of laid out the wide receiver position is the way that I think the field is going to play it. Like there's going to be ownership in the high range with Diggs, Tyreek, and Justin Jefferson. And then everybody's sort of going to be owned in that mid range. But there's this high upside middle tier in between these two that I don't really think anybody's going to play. Jalen Waddle, 7,400. T Higgins, 7,300. Mike Evans, 7,200. Gabe Davis, 6,900. We talked about all of these guys, wide receiver uh, counterparts. But I think just because of the pricing, all of these guys get looked over and all of these guys have massive ceilings. I would not be surprised one bit. In fact, I I expect one of these four wide receivers in this price range and ownership tier to be in the tournament winning lineups. I don't know which one it is yet, but it's going to be one of them. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. I think my lean would be either Waddle or T. Higgins. Just because I think with T. Higgins, I mean, still no Jamar Chase there, no ownership. Now, he's obviously priced up at 7300 I don't think a ton of people are going to go there, but this Bengals team, even in that game against the Browns, I know they got down, but they were still passing quite a bit when the game was pretty neutral. Uh, I don't know if you watched that game at all. But yeah, they still came out and shotgun and, and let Joe Burrow rip it. But obviously they didn't play great. T Higgins, 7,300. I like that. But I do agree with your just the general sentiment of a player in this range is going to be a tournament winner for sure. And I, and I like that call a ton um, just because this range is going to get overlooked. And you can even include like D hop in that and the chalkiest game on the slate. Like I think he's going to be a good leverage play and nobody's going to play Michael Pittman. I'm not too interested in that, but yeah, none of these guys are, are going to get owned and I think they all have tournament winning upside for sure. Absolutely. I mean, it, it's pretty tough to find the leverage spots other than that, at least right now, need to see exactly who is going to develop into chalk. And I think that a lot of injury stuff will sort of shape which way the ownership leans. So I, w- I would really advocate that anybody interested in playing tournament seriously, check out our live stream this Saturday back to the 10 p.m. Eastern time slot where it belongs. So make sure you guys tune into that. We'll have a lot more 
in terms of leverage takes stacks, we kind of already hit on it, man. I, I don't want to get too crazy with my stacks. Like if I'm going to try and get cute, it's probably something like, you know, Joe Burrow stuff. Cause I don't think people go there without chase. I think Kirk is interesting. Like you mentioned in his revenge game, I want to play Aaron Rodgers this week, Joey, but like, he's just been so bad and, and no no fault of his own like the situation that the Packers have put him in has been abysmal but he hasn't gone for over 300 passing yards once this entire season we watched them on Monday night football be down by two scores and run the playoff like six straight times with Jones and Dylan like I've just never seen this out of Aaron Rodgers but time and time again anybody who plays the Lions gets right and they absolutely obliterate so I mean could this be a spot where Aaron Rodgers gets right and has his best game of the season and I, I think it's at least within the range. I mean, it's definitely within the range, but obviously in terms of stacks, like who are you stacking him with? Uh, Lazard could potentially be back. He's 6K, but he's obviously in the range of other players that I think are going to project better. And then, you know, you have like Sammy Watkins, Christian Watson got hurt last week. Robert Tunyon, I guess, at 3,800 is interesting. Ah, um, uh, shit. I think, I think that's it, man. I think that you play like Tunyon and like Dubs or like Tunyon and Lazard. Neither of them will have ownership, especially Lazard at 6K and, and he returned to practice today. Like that right there is a cheap stack that it's in the right matchup, no ownership, and it lets you do pretty much anything you want with your lineup. <sighs> I might be in on Rodgers this week. I'm, I'm kind of coming into this take in real time. I think that I might be all in on the Aaron Rodgers week nine rejuvenation. <laughs> yeah, I mean, good luck with that. <laughs> um, just don't think they have upside because I think just fundamentally they want to run the ball and control the, control the game and control the clock. So I don't think the upside is there, but we obviously have seen the Lions offense able to score and force teams into more pass happy scripts but like you said against the bills and the prime script they still went run heavy so i don't expect that to change here i think the interesting game for me the game that i wouldn't say is a sneaky shootout because its total is one of the best on the slate but the game that's going to have no ownership that could potentially have a lot of good fantasy relevant players come out of it is the raiders jacksonville game you have two cheaper quarterbacks in Derek Carr and Trevor Lawrence to stack. Derek Carr is 5,400. Trevor Lawrence is 5,200. You have a lot of cheap pieces in this game with ETN, uh, Christian Kirk, who's 5,500. You have Josh Jacobs, who I think is relative, like he's priced, I think, fine, but 7,300 for his role is still great. Devontae Adams is only 8,100, and he's just below that tier of players that are going to be chalk. Uh, so at 8,100, I think Devontae Adams is a good play. Where We're going to have to wait and see if Darren Waller is able to go in this spot. But if Darren Waller's out, we'll have Foster Moreau once again, who is 3,200. This is, this is the game that I think could be the game this week. If, if you're going to game stack a game. I mean, do you, do you think that you need to game stack it though, to get the the upside? Like I, I agree that there's some potential in this game and I like the price on some of the players, but I almost feel like I would rather, you know, play it like eating into the chalk with one of the running backs and bringing it back with a contrarian wide receiver, whether it's like Etienne and Adams or Jacobs and Kirk, something like that. And just playing it as more of a two off, just because, you know, every time we try and talk ourselves into Derek Carr, it's like, 
we got to just remember that there is no upside. Like Derek Carr does not have upside. I can't remember him ever putting up a 30 spot on, on DraftKings. Maybe he's done it once or twice over the past couple of years. He has no games over 25 points this season, only one game over 20 points. Trevor Lawrence, only one game over 25 points. It's just, I, I feel like the upside is so, so capped on this week. And unlike last week, you are competing with Josh Allen. You are competing with Justin Herbert. I, I don't know, man. It's it's tough for me to play those quarterbacks, but I, I understand what you're saying. I mean, what do you what do you think about, you know, just sort of correlating this game with pieces in your lineups first full stack? Yeah, no, I, I definitely I definitely like that, especially with Josh Allen on the slate. But I mean there's a ton of holes in the Chargers offense right now. So I'm not too interested in Justin Herbert. Kyler Murray is is whatever, you know, obviously Cod narrative is overblown, but 7400 obviously a fair price for Kyler and his upside has been kind of up and down. He's been an up and down player this entire year. And I would just really say like they're competing with like Geno and Fields. I don't really think they're competing with those top guys on this slate, especially when you take into consideration some of the holes that you could poke and with them being 3000 plus cheaper i think it's fine but yeah nonetheless i mean obviously it's it's still pretty disgusting playing Derek carr in tournaments or playing trevor lawrence but like man i i know there's a trevor lawrence ceiling game in the range somewhere we've never seen it but i i know there's a 303 game in his range um it's just all about like playing it before it happens, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I could get on board with that. I would rather play Trevor than Derek Carr. I think that there's more untapped upside, whereas we have just such a long standing sample size of Derek Carr never being able to hit a ceiling, no matter what the spot is. And and I do agree with you that Trevor at least has some untapped ceiling there. He's at home. Raiders past defenses is absolutely abysmal. And anything that you're playing on the Jacksonville side of the ball that isn't Travis Etienne is going to be highly contrary. And so that is one that I could totally get on board with there. Let's close it out here with long shots. I've got a long shot here for the people at running back. We really just sort of touched on the chalky guys. And I think that, you know, essentially everybody we talked about earlier in the show at running back is where you want to be building your lineups around at the running back position, not too many spots that I want to get crazy different with. But the one that I could see myself playing, and and we'll see again, this is sort of injury related, is Antonio Gibson at 5,500. JD McKissick missed practice today, which is really impactful because Antonio Gibson has already sort of been working his way back onto the field, out-touched Brian Robinson last week, and has had four plus targets in four straight games, including seven receptions on seven targets last week. If we get him in this spot, he's outplaying Brian Robinson, maybe no McKissick at home against Minnesota. I think Gibson could be a really strong play and somebody that the the field has really soured on. And I, I think would be, you know, hard pressed to find a lot of ownership drive to Antonio Gibson, just with the other running backs in that price range. And you're not getting too much in savings because he is priced at 5,500, still a little bit cheaper, but AG this week. I kind of want to be back in on him at this point. Yeah, I mean, I I definitely like that call. I think he's a good play. I thought you were going to say Devin Singletary because that's your son. Yeah, Um, but see, the thing about Singletary, and I I do like Devin Singletary, but they just tend to scale him back in games that are less competitive, and the Bills are 12 and a half point favorites here. So that's kind of the knock on Singletary. Hey, now now you're talking my language. Naeem Hines. Something like that. Something like that. Yeah, I guess I'll stay at the running back position, kind of in in that same range, and just uh, give a disgusting play. Absolutely disgusting. Probably should not play this. Only in large field tournaments where you just don't care about your money. A Falcons running back. 
Mm. You have Tyler Algier at 54 or Caleb Huntley at 4,900. One of those. I don't know which one. Obviously, Huntley is 500 cheaper. Algier had 14 carries last week. Huntley had 16. So more usage for Huntley. Algier scored the touchdown, though. This is a prime spot where I think Atlanta could easily win and be up in this game. And we know if they're up, they are running the ball. And is there another spot to attack than the Chargers run defense that is year over year just horrendous? I, I mean, they're god-awful. So sure I don't know which one. I mean, I I literally might have to start both of them in the league together. <laughs> That's how bad it is in redraft for me right now, this week specifically with buys. But Algier or Caleb Huntley, that, that's my call, one of them. That, that's a cop-out answer, but an Atlanta Falcons running back is going to go for 15 to 20 points this week. Can I can I pop a, a massive hole in that real quick? I already know what you're going to say. I don't expect them to play. Cordero Patterson announced Wednesday he's back at practice, designated to return from IR. I mean, if we get... But even then, that's a Falcons running back, so I would just yeah, pivot yeah, to no. CPAT. Oh, I, I no, 100%. I'm just saying that if CPAT is back, I wouldn't consider those guys. If he's out, I totally love the calls. Yeah. But if CPAT is back, I mean, bro. Yeah. We we haven't had one of these chances. This was like our thing last year, and we haven't had one of these chances to play a guy coming off of injury when the whole field is scared of him. Imagine if we get CPAT in this spot who, I mean, already had, you know, 200 plus rushing yard games this season, 225 spots out of his four games played. I would be all in on Cordero Patterson if he continues to practice all week and gets activated. Like, Jesus Christ, that would that would be like the type of tournament play that makes it move. Yeah, exactly. So Falcons running back this week. Don't know which one. CPAT, obviously, if he's healthy, would be the best option, um, especially with a ton of ownership in that range going to other running backs. But yeah, if not, Huntley would be the large field, Millie Maker tournament play at 4.9K. Tyler Algier, I think, is a little bit better than Huntley. But yeah, Falcons running back for the win. I really like that call. Absolutely. All right. I think that that is going to be it here for episode 261 of the DFS Dose podcast. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at DoseMediaNet as well as our personal Twitters. I'm at Ben Hover. Joey's at Joey Carrion DFS. Haven't plugged the YouTube recently. Make sure you guys are subscribed to us at Dose Media Network on YouTube, especially if you are into player props. Been highlighting some stuff on prize picks lately, and we're going to continue to do that throughout the course of the rest of the year. And if you guys want to connect with us and stay up to date with anything going on within the network, you can join our inner circle via the free Discord chat. Link to do so is in the show notes to the podcast. To everybody listening out there, we appreciate you. We value you. Until next time, let's stay accountable and keep it authentic.